Hello! Thanks for downloading this podcast. Just a quick note to say that we've changed the name from Fight Back to the next round. We think the new title gives a more future-facing angle to our conversations with marketing and business leaders as they chat to us about the next round for their businesses. Enjoy this episode and make sure to subscribe. We're planning Series 3 now and it should be with you later this year. This is Fight Back, the innovation podcast. Hello and welcome to Fight Back. I'm your host, Robin Charney. Fightback is a business innovation podcast where we get to hear the stories of those doing what I think is the hardest job in corporate innovation today, transforming heritage businesses. In each episode, I get to sit down for a good old chat with some very clever people and hear about their wins and losses, and more importantly, what we can all learn to take to our own Fightback. I learn something every episode, and I hope you do too. Today, I have the privilege to be speaking with Stephen Scott, better known as Scotty. Hi, Scotty. Hi, how you doing? Welcome to Fightback. A bit about Scotty. He's been working in digital transformation for almost 20 years. Some career highlights for Scotty include the creation and launch of Air Miles, creating and delivering the digital transformation and innovation across IAG, and more recently, Scotty was involved with the launch of Hangar 51, IAG's accelerator. At the moment, he's focused on digital transformation within Avios to modernize their operating model. Tell me a bit about what fight Avios are in. Who's disrupting your world? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's multiple people disrupting every world at the moment. It seems to be that the uh, general nature of of corporate life at the moment is change. Um, I think there are the large tech disruptors and the ones we all know about who everyone thinks is moving fast and there's a capability to keep up with. We've got our industry competitors. They're always moving forward and creating speed of change, which we need to keep up with, and in the loyalty space as well. So Avios is an interesting business because it covers loyalty, retail, financial services markets, and airlines. So it's uh, on every front, we have uh, people we consider competitors and people that we consider an opportunity to work with and partner with. Are there any specifics that you'd be willing to name? The ultimate nemesis, who, who keeps you up at night? The ultimate competitors, the big tech companies. I think they have a large amount of capital, they have a large amount of customers, they're getting into every space, and I think everyone would name those as uh, people that they are watching and, uh, and competing with generally. So you're being disrupted. What are you doing about it, Avios? From a disruption perspective in general, I like to see it as an opportunity rather than a, than a threat. I don't feel that we're under threat. I think we've got lots of opportunities to move faster than we were before and lots of opportunities to create new relevant things for customers. And in terms of transformation, that means our business, the, the way that businesses were set up in the past needs to change in order that we can continue to compete. If everything's moving much faster, everything that you have in your real estate when you arrive and everything you have in your real estate going forward has to have the capability to move faster. So everything that we do is uh, attempting to make things much more agile. Okay, so most people listening will, will know Avios and have an app. Is that what you're innovating or is it much larger than that? No, it's much larger than that. I think we're in an era as industries where people were creating innovation labs. We were doing things on the side. In fact, I think this has gone on in the in certainly since I've been working in digital. This has gone on with any new um, sizable change that's come to market is that companies generally put a small team on the side doing something to try it out, to see where it fits in their business, to see how it affects profitability, customer relevance, improves NPS with their customers. Once they decide that it is something that really needs to be a part of their business as usual, then they start to open it up and the whole company needs to become that. How do they decide right. that? What Do you have a view on what triggers well, that think, from micro to macro? Yeah, I think I think with digital transformation, if we, if we go back to the web era, 
you know, what triggered it was everyone being a little bit threatened and a little bit scared of what web was and what web was doing. Um, and we all started creating small web teams, bolt-on teams, because no one really understood it. It required new talent, different types of people that hadn't been in the organization before. Um, we put those small teams in a corner and we let them create something. And then we saw what size that grew to. And as it grew and evolved, people realized that it was going to become a larger part of the business, but probably wasn't going to take over the bricks and mortar like everyone thought originally. And therefore, when it became a sizable part either of your P&L or a sizable part of what your customers wanted and you met a new demand or you took a new market sector or space, then it became something that was much more interesting to the business. In the web's case, it was about channel shift, cost efficiencies, and about get reaching customers clearly in different ways. I think with digital transformation, it's really about creating speed and agility of organizations, um, how we're changing the target operating model of the business to make it faster and more agile. Are there any concrete examples of what you're doing or things that have changed that you can share with us at yeah, this Yeah, sure. I, I think, well, I think corporates in general have gone as, as we know in industry, down a build-by-partner route. Um, and they've always chosen between build-by-partner as long as I can remember. I think that landscape's changed quite a lot. So in our example, we recently invested um, in a Series B of a challenger bank called Monis. Um, Avios does a lot of business in the financial services space. And we were involved in a Series B on Monis where we're learning and um, building products together with Monis as a startup. Um, within a space that we're interested in. And it benefits both parties. Um, so that's an example of where we're doing something with startups in a space that we're interested in. When you're working with startups, what's the biggest takeaway for you in working with startups? What do you get beyond the access to the kind of new talent and new ideas? Is there a cultural impact there at all that you feel within the AVO's team? Yeah, I, I need to take you back a bit to sort of where we started take me, take to me kind back, of answer Scotty. that, take right? Me back. <laughs> <laughs> to answer that, I need to go back a little way. It's fine. So I think one of the things that corporates struggled with in the beginning was finding a front door for startups. Yeah. And I think the Accelerator program gave a lot of them a front door. But what soon started to happen was there was no engagement onward from that. So mm. the innovation team was separated from the business. You didn't really have the throughput in taking commercial products to market. You didn't outside of, and similar with CVCs they were very detached from the strategic What's a CVC sorry corporate venture capitalism they um the CVCs that were being set up were very much um detached from the main business so while startups wanted scale and to meet customer brands they found it very difficult because they deal with the corporate venture capitalists who wanted to invest in them, but that's kind of where their job stopped. Right. Here's some money. Yeah. Thank you very they much. They deal with the accelerator and they'd say, mm. well, great, we'll give you some tools in a 10-week program, but there's no one in our business that will agree to take on your product. And they found it very hard to operate with corporates in a day-to-day environment because they just get passed around the patch because there's mm. so many different people to speak to. So back then we were trying to create I think everyone was trying to create front doors to actually have processes and ways of dealing with startups. If you wind on five years and and where companies have got to now, in general, and Avios is certainly an example of this, is we've changed our target operating model and and more importantly, the platform that we operate, our our technology platform, to be able to integrate with startups at a much more technology-led level than we were able to years ago. I think as the as the cycle has matured, if you look at Accelerator, if you put that in the context of Avios, we will we will have the Accelerator that provides the front door and gets people through the door and understands, gets them introduced to the right people, essentially. We have an incubator which allows us to take commercial products to market one to six months after that. Um, and we have an investment opportunity, should it be a win-win for the startup and the corporate, and we feel there's enough strategic alignment that it's worthwhile us investing in the business. It also sometimes gives the startup focus on the products we're building. 
I think in the past, we, we saw a lot of mandatory investments in accelerators back in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't think that worked. And it certainly wasn't something that worked for um, us at Avios or anywhere else that I've been. I guess um, like anything, we're innovating the model yeah, of innovation and exactly. everyone's learning as they go along. You exactly. know, and some models will work, some things will yeah. fall away as we kind of mature. Well, I think fundamentally, whether it's innovation, whether it's web, whatever it is we're doing, we we end up in a situation where tech and data are our biggest disablers or our biggest enablers. So we tend to start trying to get those right first because they're the, the easiest way to enable the business. And is that what you mean when you talk about uh, moving your target operating model from from one thing to another is that moving from from there's, loyalty to tech is that yeah what you mean? There's, there's five areas of transformation that we uh, we carry out the first one is the technology platform mm-hmm. which I've touched on already the second one is our delivery methods um, corporates have historically used a lot of waterfall methodology which means that you build all your requirements up front then you get everyone to consensus around those requirements and agree to them. Then the next step is to go into build, design, build, (laughs) run, you know, all those things. by a thousand cuts. Yeah. And and I think everyone, you know, in the digital space certainly realises that that had its time. But right now, um, we have to be much more dynamic. So then came in the early 2000s, agile methodology, which we all know and love, which was a faster way of creating value early, but still a process methodology. I think now um, we're very much seeing the emergence of product organisations where business and technology skill sets sit together. I kind of take this back to when web started, where you kind of had a couple of guys who wanted to build something. They drew it on the back of a fag packet. They took it to their friend who was a developer and he started building for them. In their bedroom. In their bedroom. In flash. That's right. (laughs) I was there. I remember. (laughs) I had the t-shirts. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) And I think one one of the pieces that corporates started to understand was the further you move those developers away from the people who know what they want to build, the harder it gets to still build the same thing that you requested at the beginning because it gets diluted and changed and adjusted as it goes through the cycle. So moving to a product organization is the second cog. The third one was delivery method. Um, We have moved very much from waterfall to continuous integration. Um, So that's all about speed and agility. So how do we get the highest quality product out the door fast? Um, Number four is our processes and our ways of working. Um, we have to look at, people think this starts with tech, but primarily in a digital business, it really starts with corporate funding processes, corporate governance processes, um, how we empower our teams and what level we set the KPIs. Um, is when, that, is yeah, that sure. a good thing to have set up up front? Does that restrict people or does that give them boundaries in which to go up until the very edge of, you know, with digital people it's often corporate governance it's 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 you know it's a killer yeah. or is that well really... the idea of changing yeah. the process is to make yeah. that governance as light as possible okay so an, an example would be we have a you know we will have a light three-person governance on a quarterly basis against a product pot okay to govern one product mm-hmm. where we feel that that product needs that sort of resource attention so that's very different from a you know a traditional business case by business case approach they're very different things you still use business cases but in some areas, not others. Sounds like they've been done with some thoughtfulness. Absolutely. <laughs> and number five. Number, number five, five is culture. Culture. It's, pe- ah, it's the big and, one. People and behaviours, huh? Is that five or is that one? Yeah, it's it's usually all five. It goes across all five. It goes across all five. <laughs> so can we talk a little bit about culture? Yeah, sure. I know it's, it's a big topic. What's changing? What still needs to change? What's been the hardest change? What's changed? Generally, in the same way as we started with dot com, as I mentioned earlier, mm. we evolve out. 
So we put people who already get it, who who re- recruit in, who want to create the change into building products together in a product organization with all of the pieces that I've told you about to hand. Once they're up and running, um, they start to output very quickly and that starts to sell itself to the rest of the business. There's two other camps of people, obviously, in any in any change, right? There's those who might come with you and there's those who really don't want to. Of the people who don't want to, do you really need them to come with you? You know, if they're in an area of the business that you're not going to create as part of the product organization, that isn't going to be part of the target operating model in terms of the things you're trying to change in speed and quality of products, mm-hmm. then maybe they don't need to. Maybe they can carry on as, as they are. Um, the ones who might who might come with you, I think once you move out of the first evolution and the piloting stage, you have to bring those people along and get them to a place where they're going to roll it into the rest of the business. But hopefully by that point, they've seen enough of what's delivering, how fast it's delivering, the type of quality you can get out that they'll come with you pretty early. Any any top tips on how to get them over, <laughs> over the last mile? Is it is it alcohol induced or is it often kind of just what, sheer, sheer determination to kind of you yeah, will I can, come on this I can tell ride you what, with me? What doesn't, well, <laughs> what doesn't work? The, yeah, I can tell you what doesn't work. <laughs> okay. And uh, that's pushing people into a direction that they don't want to go in. Yeah, right? yeah. So I think if you put things on the side, put them out of the business, create kind of this maverick organization that feels like it's fairly disruptive, you generally stay ousted. So I'm not really a great believer of yeah. take everyone who you want to do this offsite and get them to do it somewhere yeah, else. I've heard some disasters it, around it that. Doesn't it's, really, just, it's rejected by the host yeah, again, isn't it? When you try and reintegrate yeah. the organ, it really doesn't work. So you, you, I, th- I think you have to go through people rather than around them in that sense. And uh, that's certainly the best way. One thing that works quite well is giving the target of how you want to change to someone who you're not sure wants the target okay, <laughs> or wants to change. <laughs> Fair enough. That helps sometimes, that helps. but not always. <laughs> no, I guess. I mean, it, it, you know, it's quite scary and disruptive, isn't it? Changes, you know, changes um, seen by many people in very different ways. And some people rush towards it and some people yeah. run as fast as they can in the other direction. Yeah. I mean, if you had consultants <laughs> in, they'd say who has the highest influence and has the lowest <laughs> level of change. And you'd, uh, you'd try and bring those people with you. But okay. we haven't found we'd needed that too much. What, the consultants or that, or that particular? <laughs> Either. <laughs> Either. <laughs> Speaking of partners, so we talked a little bit about startups. Do you work mm. with any other kind of partners to help deliver this target operating yeah, model I mean, change? Well, we, are, we are a partnerships business. Yeah. So yes. obviously we have a lot of partners in the FS space, mm. in the retail space, in the airspace. Um, we're essentially a B2B company serving. We have airlines as obviously air partners who are providing us with the seats that are customers travel on. We also have a lot of partners who are issuing Avios to their customers. Mm. Traditionally, we've always been a partnerships business. In terms of um, who we're working with to bring it um, to bring the transformation to light, we do use a lot of agency partners in the um, provision of resources for tech. Mm-hmm. We do use some um, global suppliers that, that IAG as a group provide. Um, they do some of the uh, very back-end heavy lifting pieces, especially where we've got legacy systems and we need to move out of those mm. and the bigger, more complex challenges. Do you have a view on any particular advantages with partners, whether it be kind of you know short-term resource that you can upscale really quickly or mm. particular um, you know, tech advantages or just kind of ideas and insight from the outside in? Do you have a, a view on advantages of partners? A mixture of expertise is always good. I think we can very easily get caught navel-gazing. And uh, that's not a good place to be, whatever the remit is or whatever the task is. So it's always very good to have different perspectives. Most people we bring in to work on the digital side of things want to work in the latest tech Mm. and want to keep developing their skills. They need three or four languages generally. They need to be up with what's coming next. 
and some of the older kit that we have may not suit those developers. So we we do use agencies to bring in the types of people we need who can get them working in new tech. We make sure that our product teams are are building on the on the latest tech, using the latest tools, using methodologies that work. You know, a lot more cloud computing, a lot more cloud tooling, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And you've talked a lot about the skills to make something. Where do the ideas come from? <laughs> the ideas come from a mixture of places. I have areas of my team that look after the culture change. So how do we speed up the transformation, the people stuff we're talking about? And then we have the ventures team, which look really look at um, where venture capitalists are investing, where the startup scene is, and how startups are moving. And I find a lot of the ideas for new things come from the startup community. Um, I love how they think. I love how they think differently. Equally, we do a lot of design thinking internally and across departments and across the group companies. So we can pull on experts. One of the advantages of Avios is we sit across six airline brands and um, IG Cargo. We've got a lot of different expertise that we can pull on, and we we often bring that expertise together and work across the airlines and across ourselves. Do you have a lot of kind of high level up in the stratosphere of the organization involvement or are they kind of letting you get on with it? To put any innovation in the market, you need very senior sponsorship and you need an engaged product owner who has an objective to deliver it. And if you have neither one of those or either one of those, it doesn't really work that well because you just it's just not close to people's objectives and it's not interesting to people. So in, in our case, um, I sit around the executive team table and I help to coerce the transformation and, and you know bring it to life. But our CEO is also extremely um, engaged in our transformation, talks about it regularly. I wanted to understand a bit more because you know Evios is a heritage business, even though it's it's you know been going since 1988. What frustrates you about what all frustrates of this trans- me about transformation? Yeah, I think every person that's in transformation is someone who is pretty unsettled with today. We're a pretty uh, impatient bunch who want change very, very quickly. Um, And transformation in large businesses takes time. My frustration is always the speed of change. And sometimes the thinking change is the hardest part of that. Seeing people still thinking in the same ways, feeling like you haven't communicated it quite well enough. Um, You feel it's on your side rather than... Yeah, I I always look at what can I do to make this work better. And I think constantly communicating you can never mm-hmm. communicate enough with this stuff how do you communicate it is it death by email do you have any preferred no, we, we actually <laughs> as as avios we actually um try to stay off email as much as we can internally good, good. we we tend to use microsoft teams just okay. because it's fairly straightforward to use it's part of the office suite we use anyway and we've got pretty much a consensus of use of it now um it's a great way to communicate to everyone with particular things it, we also use it a lot for learning okay. um, our ways of working include a value around learning and everyone's self-learning as well as training etc um, there's lots of different materials in there so we communicate a lot through through teams and that's an ongoing daily there's always things in there that are new there's always learnings from around the from around other businesses and expertise going in there cool anything that you're particularly excited or keen on at the moment that you've read or seen that you think oof there's a great ted talk by a guy called peter hinson which is called the day after tomorrow and that talks about the things we have to deal with as corporates and some of the things of yesterday we're still working on, but how we need to think more about the future and Excellent. some of the disruptions that are coming. We'll put it, that in the show yeah. notes. Excellent. Now, I always like to ask the guests for a little bit of crystal ball gazing. Crystal so ball let's gazing. come into the future. Look into okay. my crystal ball, Scotty. Um, we're 10 years out. Mm. What's happening in the world of, and I'm not sure to say the world of loyalty or the world of 
tech. I don't know which world sure. you you're in both at the moment. You're transferring from one to the other. Well, let's, let's talk about both. Let's we? talk about both, <laughs> and whether we'll still be flying on airplanes or not. <laughs> sure, I think we'll definitely still be flying on airplanes. Okay, tick. Um, I think the uh, from a tech and loyalty perspective, we are seeing a change in how people interact with tech. I think it will become a lot more passive um, and a lot more integrated into what we're doing. So I, I probably won't give you any surprises, but my my view on the way tech works alongside humans is that it will be it will be much more unseen. We're already seeing it with Internet of Things, the way that we, you know, we just naturally move into doorbells that can we can talk through, doorbells we can see through, lights that turn themselves on and off, the way we interact with our house changing, talking to Alexa instead of right instead of tapping into mm. a computer screen. Mm. That will continue, I think. I think we'll see a lot more um really passive tech that's just part of us. I think there's a lot going on in the health space. I think the way that we the way that we ingest data and the way that people read our data will vastly change over the coming years. I can I see a, a large place for people going to the doctors and telling them what the data's reading rather than waiting for a doctor to diagnose. I can see that changing quite radically. Not just Googling what you think you have. No, I mean no, I, I mean, a lot of people do that now, right? But I'll give you a recent example. I have a, an app that measures my sleep, measures my activity, all those kind of things. Mm. And it tells me which days, where I've traveled to, what I've done that, that impact that. Mm. People will know more and more data about themselves. And as they do that, it will lead to changing working practices, changing home life, lifestyle practices. And it will change how you, how you interact with, um, with GPs and others, I think. So you talk a little bit about all the, I guess, all the data input points that you've got. I guess one of my observations on that is you're assuming that people are going to want to know all that data about themselves and do something about it. I love. I think you have a very optimistic, and as do I, view of tech. Whereas I think there's probably 50% of the population who'd be like, I don't actually want to know any of that, and I'm quite happy going along in my yeah. bubble and not 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 being an optimized being. But yeah, that's enough. That's that's for another podcast. Um, of all those things that you talked about from the crystal ball, kind of looking forward. Is there anything when you think, God, I never would have thought that. I never thought that was going to happen. Yeah, I think where we've got to with payments and things like that and the rate that that's changing. I mean, I've always thought that at some point we will just be who we are and we'll pay for stuff just by walking around. And <laughs> and they'll sense it, who we are and where we are, you know, some kind of... Uh, so, so they'll know if I'm over my credit limit some, or not. Yeah, some they'll kind know. of biometric will allow me to seamlessly buy. I'll just walk in and out of shops and pick stuff up and take it home and, and there will be... It will be a chip yeah. or something, you yeah. know, and there'll be, like you say, lots of people who will and won't want that. So I think payment advances, the way that we retail... Um, you know, moving into those types of purchases it actually happened a lot quicker than I thought. I thought it would come, but I, I think it's happening a lot quicker. And what about loyalty? I mean, Avios, you know, if you ask most people what business they thought Avios were in, mm. they would say you're a loyalty um, company. What's happening with the future of in loyalty, especially brand loyalty? Do you have a, a view on will people still be loyal to particular brands or is it all about that customer benefit? Avios as a, as a currency, as a loyalty currency, as something that people want to collect, well, as long as we keep providing products that people want to collect for and want to redeem on and want to gain, um, you know, great travel experiences, something that money can't buy, I think there's a place for loyalty. I think it's always going to be there as a as something that people require and and love to save for. Um, so I do see it changing. I think payments and loyalty emerging a little bit. Mm. I think customer experience and loyalty emerging a little bit. 
but all those all those industries are changing too you know we we a lot of our loyalty is with financial services financial services is changing dramatically massive so like i say i think if you bring it back to basics and say do, do avios provide things that people want to save for absolutely we do and i think that will continue um it will definitely change in terms of how that's delivered and i think that's where we're seeing most of the disruption most of the change at the moment is how we deliver those products to customers and we're well on the road with that have you delivered any new products yet is there anything you can tell us about that customers could have in their hands or are you still yeah i mean we've um one of the products we put out um fairly recently is the british airways rewards app um that is a that is a new app um, British Airways branded, which gives you all of the places you can collect and spend Avios. Um, and it also shows me recommended places I can go with Avios based on my balance, more relevant to me, that kind of thing. So that's a product that we've put out the door fairly recently. On the more kind of working with startup side, we've put out the sandbox is fairly recent, the API sandbox. So okay. how developers can interact with Avios um, APIs and create their own apps to use Avios and create better experiences for customers. Fantastic. Um Switching gears just a little bit, tell me if there's an innovation out there that you wish you'd been part of. I think the obvious ones are that people draw out things like the smartphone, the, you know, the, the big kind of hardware changes, the big the big game changers in the in the sphere of what we've done. I think electric aircraft is another one that Ooh. has always interested me. There's a few out there. Um, Talk to me about that. I would have liked to have been part of that, yeah. but it's not really part of my role. It's just is a, it over a, yet, or is interest. it just starting? No, I think it's just starting. Actually, yeah. I think well, I think generally looking at um, more economical ways to fly that kind of thing is a thing at the moment. Mm. Um, the electric aircraft that I've personally seen have been very much in the uh, smaller, more personal aircraft space because they're early days. Have you flown in one? No. Do you no. want to? I would love to. <laughs> but not if yet. If anyone's listening not yet. who has a personal electric aircraft, Scotty would yeah, like to come on your yet. plane. <laughs> okay. They're not quite ready yet? I, I'm not sure they're quite ready okay. yet. Okay. I don't know. I'm not I'm not working with anyone on them. <laughs> but no, you I want to see the background systems and the... Yeah, exactly. All the you first. want to see the software first and see the, the hardware software, and, and then you're else. ready to go on it. Cool. I wanted to understand a bit more about what's on the immediate horizon for you at Evios. So what's coming up in the next week, month, three months that's, that you're personally excited about? So I'm looking forward to seeing what products come out the back of what we've done this year with organisational change. I can't talk about what we're doing in the future, clearly, okay. <laughs> but I can talk about the things I'm excited about in terms of the model and the, and the target operating model. And I think we are... We're in a really good place to start delivering much faster to bring out some new new products um, much quicker for customers. And I think you'll see a lot more of that going forward. Well, I can't wait to. As, a, as an Avios member and user, I can't wait to see what you guys do next. I am ready for the next generation of loyalty app tech platform. I'm sure as with many customers, there are frustrations around how you work with these things. Absolutely. But I think there's, there's only opportunity for, for change mm. because from a competitive point of view, I don't see much out there that's competing, but I think you, know, you have a lot of loyal customers out there who are kind of ready for the next the next wave of disruption to kind of, uh, I guess, bring something personal to their traveling experience, aren't yeah. they? Thank you very much for being with us today, Scotty, or Stephen Scott, as you will find him on LinkedIn, Chief Digital Officer of Avios. Have you always been Scotty? Yeah, I have. My first boss was Steve. And so uh, I had to be it. Scotty related to my surname and it stuck. Thank you very much for being with us today. And thanks very much for inviting me on the show. I've really enjoyed it. Great. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fight Back. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a rating. Five stars, please. It really helps us our ranking and our discoverability. 
feel free to contact me at rcharney on Twitter or on LinkedIn. And if you're an innovation leader who wants to be on Fightback, please do get in touch. Fightback is brought to you by AAR. We're a London-based management consultancy helping businesses maximize their partnerships and relationships across marketing and innovation. For more information, visit us at aargroup.co.uk. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of Something Else Productions. Thanks, guys. See you next time.